this time next week will be Christmas and, and most of us will be here and that's cool. Uh, but like one week, I can't, I have, man, I can't believe that. It's just like, it's slow, 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 and then boom, all of a sudden it's here. Um, I, do, do you find uh, at Christmas time that there are things, maybe more things than in the normal parts of the year that cause you to like, like be in awe or kind of marvel at things? Do you, you find yourself kind of marveling at things at Christmas. Um, You guys are all like asleep this morning. Uh, Let me give you a few things and maybe you'll connect to them and you'll be like, oh yeah, I I, I kind of marvel at that. Uh, Do do you, like sometimes you can see a light at a house or in the trees or lining the street or something, especially if it's cold and it's kind of misty out, like kind of frosty out, and so you see the lights. And, and I, sometimes I just look at it and just stop, you know? I'm just like, wow, that is really, that is really beautiful. I like, guess really cool, I really like that. So maybe it's the twinkling lights, maybe it's a, um, a perfectly decorated c- Christmas tree. Every Sunday when I come in, one of the f- funnest parts of being here uh, at Christmas time is that, is that I, the lights are all off in the lobby and I go turn the Christmas tree on. And it's very beautiful. The team did a really good job doing that. I, I think, oh, that's really nice. And I just kind of look at it for a minute there in the dark. Or um, maybe like if you have kids, you, you remember that the look of it, like excitement and anticipation on a kid's face at Christmas as they see the presents begin to pile up under the Christmas tree. I, I'm reminded of um, one of my favorite scenes in A Christmas Story, that movie with little Ralphie. Um, by the way, we watched A Christmas Story 2 when Ralphie is an adult. That's a pretty good show. You should watch it this Christmas. Uh, anyway, one of my favorite scenes in The Christmas Story um, movie is when they go to the uh, department store to see Santa and they're outside looking through the window at the, at the Christmas decorations, right? And he looks up and sees the Red Ryder BB gun up there. But you, just the look on the kids' faces as they're looking through the window. It's like, that's so cool. It's just awe and kind of marvel at, at what they're seeing. But I think probably my favorite thing at Christmas time is when the, just the way the world looks under a blanket of snow in the moonlight with the Christmas lights and, and whatever. And when, you know, it's like that pristine snow, like there's no footprints in it, no tire tracks in it. And just for a second, you're like, oh, that's just, that is really cool. And then you drive through it as fast as you can. And then, do you do that? And I'm like always looking, like when I drive down the road after the road's been driven on, I'm like, I drive off to the side, like almost in the gutter so I can make tracks that nobody has made before. And then I look at them in the rear view mirror and I'm like, yeah, I, I did that. My, my big truck, I put it in four wheel drive sometimes and I hit the big piles of snow in the edge and they blow up. I just, uh, I like, there's a lot of things that <laughs> cause us to kind of be um, in awe at, at Christmas time. And I think for a lot of people, that those, those things that we, that we look at, those, the things that I just mentioned, maybe there's others. I think for a lot of people, that's all there is to Christmas. 
the, the, the snow and the lights and the tree and the presence, and then that's it, and it's over. And like there's, a, there's wonder and there's whimsy at Christmas. And then, and then Christmas morning, you get up and you tear into that stuff, and then it's over. And you just pack the tree up and everything goes to the trash, and, and then you're, you're, you're done. But, but for people of faith at Christmas, the, the magic of Christmas should never outshine the meaning of Christmas. And, and th- there's a lot, at least if you watch the movies, like a Christmas child named Christmas. A boy called Christmas. A boy called Christmas or, okay, I'm going to keep going back to that. Uh, there, there's a lot of magic at, at Christmas, right? Like, especially if you're a kid and parents talk about, parents talk about that and, and uh, uh, you go places and there's lights, it's just exciting. There's a lot of magic at Christmas, but that magic of Christmas should never outshine the meaning of, of Christmas. It's so easy to get caught up in the lights and the and present shopping and planning all of the, the Christmas parties, the like work Christmas parties and family get-togethers. But in the midst of all of that stuff that we've got to do, in, including like we've we got church stuff to do, we're planning things for church, we have to be careful to not get so caught up in the magic of Christmas uh, and the season that we, that we miss the meaning. So today, um, we're going to continue our series called Great Joy, and we've been looking at songs that were sung, and these are kind of, these are weird songs, they're kind of anthemy kind of things, um, uh, almost like poems, like if you think of uh, the book of Psalms in the Bible. Um, these are uh, songs that different individuals uh, sang or offered during the birth of Jesus, like right before, right after the birth of Jesus. And today, uh, we're going to look at a song that was offered about 40 days after Jesus' birth, right about the time that Joseph and Mary were kind of settling into this new, new normal. And, and if you remember um, your first child, if you remember back, back that far, your first child, you remember what this, this is like. Um, TJ and Angelia are going to learn this pretty soon. And so this is gonna, uh, you guys pay attention because a lot of what we're talking about is going to hit you in, in about two months, right? Jan- January, right? Yeah, okay. So what we're going to talk about today happened 40 days after Jesus' birth, when Mary and Joseph were just finally beginning to settle down into this new normal of having a baby. So it'll be a couple months before you get to that point, because you got to get the baby, and then you'll be excited, and then you'll be miserable and tired for the rest of your life. <laughs> so it's, it's a little excitement at the beginning, and then, the, then it just goes down, downhill. Unless you have kids like mine, of course, and then life is wonderful all the time. It's great. Um, I'm going to get presents next week, so I got I to gotta be careful. <laughs> uh, so it's 40 days after, um, after the birth of, of Jesus, and, and, and Mary and, and Joseph meet this guy named Simeon. And what he says about their baby, this very tiny baby, uh, about six weeks old, um, kind of shocks them out of this, like, tired stupor that they're in, 
and kind of wakes them up to reality. And, and so I'm, I'm actually getting these songs out of order, okay, um, in like their timeline, because I wanna talk about the angels song to the shepherds on Christmas Eve this coming Saturday. And so come back for that, because we're gonna wrap the series up um, on, on Christmas Eve on, on Saturday. But, um, but this song uh, of Simeon's, we're told that Joseph and Mary, they marveled they marveled or, or they were overcome with awe is, is kind of the, the, the feeling. It's like looking at those Christmas lights or the snow in the, um, in the moonlight. Um, and so they were overcome by what Simeon said about their son. And so just like there are moments where the meaning of Christmas kind of hits us harder than others. And, and, and maybe that's the generosity of a, of a stranger during this time of year. My guess is that tonight, when we go to do the gift card giveaway, um, we're gonna meet at Walmart at six o'clock tonight. Easton will talk about that at the end of the service. But uh, my guess is that there'll be some people that the meaning of Christmas is gonna hit them pretty hard tonight as they're walking through the aisles of Walmart and um, thinking about Christmas and maybe not having very much and we're gonna be able to show up and just out of the blue um, bless them. And so that, that's a really cool moment, an exciting moment that I'm, um, that I'm excited for. I like it every year when we, um, when we happen to do that. But, Maybe it's, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's a song that we sing at Christmas. Maybe it's, um, it's that moment for you uh, where we're all around the room with our candles and the lights go off. That, that moment, maybe that hits you a little harder, the Christmas Eve service. Simeon's song that we're gonna look at today, it just shocks Joseph and Mary, and it causes them to focus more intently, to kind of wake up, to kind of get out of this, like, okay, what's going on? Like, wow, this really is a really huge moment, and there's all kinds of stuff going on. It's just, just full of purpose, um, not just for them, but for Jesus as well. And so as we go through the message today, I hope that that's exactly what happens um, to you this morning as we look at Simeon's song, that the meaning of Christmas kind of hits you a little bit harder. And so we're going to jump in today to Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. Here's what it says. When the time came for their purification, uh, this is Mary and, and Joseph and Jesus, uh, according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And we'll talk, talk about what's going on there in just a second. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So um, Joseph and Mary... Uh, they, they have come from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, and, and uh, you know the story. They've made this long trek down to Bethlehem, and there was no room for them in the homes of their family or any friends that they found, and everything was booked up and, and, and packed. And you got to understand what's going on. Jerusalem um, was a big city uh, for the day. But it wasn't that big. The estimates say that there were um, probably uh, during a normal day or normal season in Jerusalem, there were probably a few hundred thousand people that called it home and, and lived in and around Jerusalem. But um, 
there were uh, prescribed feasts that all Jews were supposed to come to uh, several times a year. And so during those feasts, when all of the Jews from the surrounding area would come into Jerusalem, uh, some people estimate that the, maybe the, the uh, number of people in the city go from like a normal couple, two, three hundred thousand to up over a million people. So this was, it was packed. This was big, big time lots of people. That's why there wasn't any room for Mary and Joseph. They came down slower because of, of Mary's um, pregnancy. She was close to giving birth, and so they couldn't go very fast. They couldn't go very far. They got into town late. There just wasn't any place available for them. And so um, this has been over. It's been 40 days since uh, Jesus' birth, and they are on their way to the temple to offer the redemption sacrifice and symbolically buy back their child from God. And, and that seems really odd to us, like we don't get that, we don't understand in Western culture what's going on there. But, um, but this practice ties back to the freedom narrative of Exodus, when God rescued the Israelite people from slavery in, in Egypt. And the last plague that caused Pharaoh to, to let the Israelites go was the death of the firstborn. Now, it was only the death of the firstborn in those homes where the parents refused to listen to what God said through Moses and put the blood of a lamb on the doorposts. So imagine being that parent who heard that and said, that's a bunch of baloney, and then woke up in the middle of the night to a dead child. You could have saved your kid, but you refused because you thought it was ridiculous, even after seeing the nine plagues of God that happened previous. Like, there's no excuse. There was no reason for anybody to die that night in, in Egypt except for just the stubbornness um, of, of the people. And so it's part of that story. God said the firstborn male of every Jewish home belongs to me because I, I saved those children. And so every Jewish family, uh, 40 days after their child was born, they would bring the child into the temple, the first male son, they would bring the child into the temple, dedicate that child to God, and then offer a sacrifice to redeem or to buy back their child. It's a Jesus story. It's a Jesus picture. It's a picture of redemption and salvation and all of these things that are tied up with all those stories in the Bible are pinned by this God who knew how everything was gonna to fit together so beautifully that he disorganized all of these things. So it's really cool, even though we don't really get it, we don't really understand it, that's what's going on uh, uh, here. So this thing to remember is that Mary and Joseph were just being obedient to what God had said. They were just doing what every Jewish couple was supposed to do. And um, so they're going through the normal exercise of Jewish life. I think they didn't expect anything to happen when they went into the temple that day. Um, in fact, um, it had been more than a month since any fuss was made about Jesus. Right? I mean, we read the story, uh, things have been pretty quiet. Life had been uh, focused like after Jesus' birth and the shepherds show up and there's a lot of excitement, all this stuff's going on and then they leave and then nothing. 
nothing for 40 days. And Mary and Joseph are just like, they're focused on finding the, the rhythm that you have to find if, if you're a parent and you have that first child and you've got to figure out all of the things that go like the changing that's gonna, ha- you guys are gonna have to change a lot of really messy, nasty um, diapers. Uh, don't call me. Um, I don't, I don't do that. And then um, feeding, right? Babies don't understand that the sun goes down and it's time to sleep. They, they are going to feed in the middle of the night and, it's, and they cry and then you have to take care of them. You got to change it. You got to do whatever. You got to deal with the spit up. Oh, babies spit up Go all the time. I'm like, what is wrong with you? What is going on? Just a little Mylanta maybe or something? Um, because something, is, something goes on there. They just spit up all the time. You got to deal with that. Like if, you, if you're a parent of a newborn, you know the drill. And it's not fun. And, and we, like that's why I th- most of us can't remember what it was like when our first child was born. Because we're just like... <sighs> I don't know what's going on, uh, what's happening today or yesterday. Or what, like, I'm just trying to get through every day. And, and so this day, Mary and Joseph get up and they're like, okay, we've got to go to the temple. And they're just trying to get through this event without any trouble. Like they're not expecting anyone to know um, anything or they're not expecting anything really to happen. But something does happen. Let's look at the next one. There was a man in, in Jerusalem. Now, so this is just a, this is just a dude, right? Like he, he's not connected to the temple at all. He's just a Jewish man who happens to live in Jerusalem near the temple. The last guy that we talked about last week, Zechariah's song, Zechariah was a priest. He was a high priest. He got to go into the temple and take care of things in the time. Like he was a big, big, important guy. This, this is nobody. It's just a man in, in Jerusalem whose name happened to be Simeon. He was righteous and he was devout. He was waiting for the consolation. Now, I actually like to look that, that word up. I'm like, what are they, what are they saying? Um, and, and so what it means, he was, he was waiting for Israel after all of the trouble that they'd been in, the discipline that they'd had to experience because of their sin. He was waiting for kind of the peace of God. He was waiting for God to come in and go, hey, everything's going to be okay. That, that's, what, that's what the word means. So he's waiting for this moment when God kind of says, okay, everything's all right, let's, let's move on. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's a key part of the story. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Remember the Lord's King. That's what we're talking about, the Messiah King. And he came in the spirit. So the spirit told him he was going to live until he saw uh, the Messiah. And then the spirit prompts him to go into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to what was the custom of the law, then some really uh, important things happen. Okay, so now we're introduced to Simeon. And in this section, we hear about this new guy. We know he's righteous, we know he's devout, we know that the Holy Spirit had given him this message, much like the message that Gabriel delivered to Elizabeth and then um, about three months later to Mary. This message was not about birth, though. Like, so the stories that we've heard so far and we've looked at, um, Mary's song and Zechariah's song, those songs have to do with birth, the birth of John the Baptist, who was going to be the Elijah that was going to bring uh, about and prepare the way for the Messiah. And then uh, the, the announcement of the a birth of Mary's birth of Jesus, the Savior of the world. 
This song is not about um, birth at, at all. This song is about Simeon's own death. And so the Holy Spirit had told him, God had told him through the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die until he saw this promised Messiah with his own eyes. And we've talked about this before. The Jewish people believed that when Messiah came, when the king, God's king came, he would come like a conquering king. And the Jewish people were a people for um, hundreds and thousands of years who were oppressed. They were slaves in Egypt, and then once they got into the promised land and they sinned, um, the Philistines, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and now the Romans had all conquered Israel, enslaved them in different ways, oppressed them in justice. All of these things were um, were going on. And so the Jews believed that when God's king came, he would come as this conquering hero. He would be like this Marvel character that would like ride in on a white stallion and just start killing all the Romans off and drive them out of Jerusalem. And then the nation of Israel would become the number one, the, na the nation of power in the world. That's what the Jewish people thought. They didn't just think that, they were waiting for, like they couldn't wait to do that. Every time they had an interaction with a Roman person, they were like, you just wait. One of these days, Messiah is going to come, and then I'm going to watch as he just kills you and just squashes you and runs you Romans. Like they, they reveled in this. They couldn't wait for the day that this was going to happen. And so Simeon probably believed the same thing. That when he got to see the Messiah, it was going to be this king that would come and would liberate the people from the Roman occupation. And then Israel would, would ascend and become the, the powerhouse of, of all nations of the world. We're not told um, when Simeon received this message, though. Uh, just that the Holy Spirit had given it to him. And so my assumption, though, uh, if you just look at the story, is that Simeon got this message that he was going to live to see the Messiah long before he went into the temple that day, right? I mean, that just makes sense. That he had been waiting for a long, in fact, it tells us he had been waiting for the consolation of Israel. It had been a while since the Holy Spirit had told him, hey, Simeon, don't worry, you're not going to die until you see God's king coming. And um, that's comforting to me because we've been talking throughout this series about that 400 years of silence from the prophet Malachi to the beginning of Matthew when Gabriel shows up and talks to Zechariah and then talks to, to Mary. And, and we talk about how there's no prophets, there's no, uh, God's not talking to people through angels or anything like God is just quiet for 400 years, except he's not really quiet because he spoke to Simeon. Some point in that 400 years, God told Simeon, you're gonna live to see the Messiah. And I think that's really cool um, because but, well, because of this, because God's always active even when he's not always audible. God's always working even when we don't necessarily hear him. And, and so we talk about this 400 years of silence and yet Simeon's story proves to us that God is still working. He still did, like he didn't talk to a prophet and tell that prophet to go speak to the king or speak to the nation, but he was speaking to people 
He was active, even if on a national scene he wasn't audible. The other thing I think is significant um, about Simeon is this line that he came in the spirit into the temple. That the only thing, uh, or the, um, uh, I think Simeon was prompted by God's spirit to do something that he didn't necessarily intend or anticipate. So I, I think, based on the reading of the scripture, I think Simeon um, woke up that morning and it was just a day like every other day. Like he had this promise from God that he wasn't gonna, go, wasn't gonna die before he saw the Messiah, but after a few days, he, he probably was like, well, okay, but probably not today. You know, like the longer time went on, the, the less excited he got about actually saying so like, uh, okay, yeah, I'm not gonna die until I see the Messiah, but it's probably not gonna, it's not gonna happen. Um, today. Uh, and so he gets up in the morning and he's hanging around the house and he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do today. Maybe go get some water because old days they had to go to the well and get it. It was like a big deal. Uh, and then all of a sudden he gets this prompting from the Holy Spirit to go into the, the temple. The, the other thing about Simeon um, that, we, that we know is that he's old. He's, he's very old. There's a lot of old guys. Zechariah was old. Elizabeth was old. Simeon is, is an old dude. And so um, it may have been difficult for him. It may have been a struggle for him to get up and get around and walk up to the temple. Um, the temple of Jerusalem, God's temple in Jerusalem was on a hill, the, a mount. And so when you went to the temple, you went up from wherever you were. In fact, the Jewish, um, talking when you read scripture and it says they went up to the temple, it was because the temple was at the peak. And no matter where you were, you were going up, you were ascending the hill to get up to um, the temple. And so it was a rough climb. And so um, maybe Simeon's like, ah, I don't know, <laughs> you know? And so he like, the Holy Spirit says to him, hey, uh, go to the temple today. And he's like, oh man, I just, I was at the temple yesterday. Uh, there wasn't really anything going on there. Um, you know, I've been doing this a long time. There's like 6,242 steps between here and the temple. Uh, and that's a lot. Like I got enough steps in yesterday. I don't really like, do you ever argue, like you, you feel like my, maybe God's like prompting you to do something and you argue with him? I'm tired, I'm not, paying, I'm not dressed right. <laughs> I don't know who that person is. I don't know, it's like, what's going on? This might happen, that might happen. And so I just, I picture Simeon kind of having this discussion and this um, talk. He felt the prompt of God though. And, and instead of questioning it, instead of putting it out of his mind, he responds to that. He acted. And because he acted on this prompt from the Holy Spirit, he gets to see the promise of God fulfilled and he gets to be a part of the story that then we're talking about 2,000 years later. We're talking about Simeon today because Simeon heard the voice of God and he responded to it. He did what he was told and he went to, to, um, went to the temple that day. Um, so let, let's look at uh, Simeon's song here. It's not very long. So Mary and Joseph get to the temple. They walk in the temple. There's this dude, Simeon. They have no idea who he is. They don't, they don't know him. 
They've never seen him before. It's like a total stranger. And he comes up to the, the couple and he takes Jesus up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Now, Simeon's song is similar to Zechariah's song because in both of those songs, they are said to have blessed God. So what they're saying is a blessing to God. They're talking about um, good news, but their songs are very different. Remember, it's been uh, six weeks, roughly, since anyone has paid attention to Jesus. Uh, again, the night Jesus was born, it's like, it's crazy, right? Mary and Joseph just get into town. The only place they can find to, um, to rest is this like stable, this um, garage portion kind of a house. And they're out there and there's animals and they have to lay Jesus in this manger, this uh, probably stone feeding trough full of hay and they wrap him up and they, they put him in there. Um, it's, not the, it's not the greatest thing for them, but they probably stayed in, in worse in their lives. Um, and, and so they're there and they give birth and like, that's exciting. Like, can you imagine, um, today gi giving birth in a, in a shop or a barn or something like that just would be like, we'd be terrified of that. Most of us would be like, that's crazy. If something goes wrong, like this is not smart. And so here Mary and Joseph are, we're not told that there's anybody else around. They're just out there. They're in this stable. They give birth. This is crazy moment. It's crazy evening. They finally, they've got the baby, they've got him cleaned up, they've got him in the manger, they finally get him to sleep, and then all these stinking shepherds, stinking, because they, they're outside all the time, they stink. The stinking shepherds come in, and they wake him up, and they're talking, and they're loud, and they're excited, and they're worshiping Jesus, all this crazy stuff's going on, and like this, the whole night, it's just, it's chaos all night long, and, um, and then the shepherds go away, and then, and then that's it. I, the closest picture I can think of is, um, you know, I'm a preacher, so I do, I do funerals, and I see this happen all the time. Uh, somebody dies, a, a parent, somebody's spouse dies, and all the family comes into town for the funeral, right? So you got all these people come in and you're coordinating. There's all these things to work out. And you got to deal with food. And you got to deal with get-togethers. You got to deal with the, um, the arrangements for the service. There's all these things that have to be done. And so your mind is just completely occupied with all of the decisions, all the stuff that has to be done. And then it gets to the funeral and you do it and you get through it and it's over. And then what happens? Everybody goes home. And the person who just lost the closest person, like their spouse, is now feel like they, there's all this excitement. And now not only is your spouse gone, but all your family is gone and you feel utterly and completely alone. Um, so why I often tell families, don't forget about this. Like when you go back home, don't forget about them because this is going to be a very difficult time. So Mary and Joseph, they give birth to Jesus and the shepherds come and there's all of this stuff going on and then nothing happens for 40 days. Nobody comes, nobody. It's gonna be 18 months or so before the wise men show up. And so there's all this excitement and then nothing, nobody comes. Then they get up to go into the temple 
And I think remembering back to when our kids were really um, little and we were doing the diaper changes and the feedings and all, and you kind of just go on autopilot. You're not really, you can't engage with a lot of stuff. You're just tired. You got all these things going on. You're just trying to function and, and figure out how life is going to go. And so Mary and Joseph, they drag themselves into the temple and they're excited for this ritual, this thing that every Jewish couple waits for the day they get to go and dedicate their firstborn son. Um, and they know that Jesus is really the son of God. It's not Joseph's son. He's the son of God. And they know that, but there's a difference between knowing something and, and, act, and then the function of it, right? For Mary and Joseph, this baby is just a baby. And he's just making noise and crying and pooping all over the place. And every, like, this is normal baby stuff. It's hard to imagine this is the son of God especially when six weeks have passed before anybody has paid any attention to you at all. You couple that with the fact that this was not Joseph's son. This was a child born out of wedlock for Mary. By all rights, she should have been killed when they found out she was pregnant according to the law. And so there's all kinds of really crazy stuff going on. And Mary and Joseph are going into the temple. And I think that their thought is, please, God, don't let anybody notice us. Please don't let Jesus do something that, that's going to cause people to pay attention. Like, let's just get us in and get us out without incident. I think that's probably what they were, what they were thinking and, and feeling. Um, they have no idea what to expect, but I don't think they expected this, that a man, a, a stranger, not dressed in priestly garments at all uh, would, would show up um, and, and, and talk to him. And, and, and not just show up, but you remember um, the opening scene of The Lion King where the monkey Rafiki comes and gets the baby. Yeah, you got it. Gets the, gets the little baby Simba and lifts him up at the end of the rock. That's, that's the picture, right? Simeon comes in. This guy they've never seen before, he just walks up and he's like, hey, give me your kid. And they did. I, for what, I guess that's just what you did back then. Uh, and they, like, we wouldn't do that today, right? Like, like moms today, I, I don't know if you, like this wasn't the deal when, when we were having um, kids 30 years ago. Um, but today there's a whole thing for moms, like don't touch me, don't look at me. Don't, they think like, if I have my baby, no, you can't just pick him up or play with his little nose or put your little, little toes in your mouth. You can't do any of that stuff today. But for a lot of us in the room, when we had little kids, anybody could just walk up and do anything to your kid. And you're just like, ah, whatever. Uh, so Mary and Joseph are like that. They walk in, they've got his baby Jesus. They're just like, please don't anybody see us. And then Simeon comes up and he takes the kid and he lifts him up in the air and he, and he offers this blessing and this prayer. Like people are standing around. They're like looking like what's going on over there? And Simeon's not being quiet. Like he's excited. He just saw the Messiah. God's probably, he's like, hey, everybody, pay attention to what's um, uh, happening. And, and Mary and Joseph, I think, are just like, what is going on? But I think part of the awe of Mary and Joseph is, is, is not awe about the moment, but just like, I can't believe you're doing this. What is uh, happening? So this old man comes up and he, and he does this Lion King thing and, and, and Mary and Joseph are there. And, um, 
Like, like every other um, song that we've looked at, Simeon, he points to God's faithfulness. And that's been a theme in every, for Mary and for Zechariah. They're pointing to God's faithfulness. And so God had made a promise to Simeon and, and here God delivers it. And, and, and I love it because um, it says, uh, let your servant depart in peace according to your word. And, and so Simeon has this real feeling, what God says, I can trust. I can believe, I can take that to, to the bank. God said I wouldn't die until I saw the Messiah and, and here I am, like God is faithful. God can be trusted. And the promise from um, uh, God there was that he wouldn't die before seeing God's king, the promised Messiah. And I'm sure that um, this baby was a shock to Simeon. Because I don't think, as I just said a minute ago, I don't think Simeon expected a baby. I think he expected a, a king, a king coming on a white horse in power and, and, and strength. But Simeon doesn't argue. Simeon doesn't get this baby Jesus in his hands, this little tiny baby, and go, are you kidding? Like, there's, I, there's nothing powerful or majestic or mighty about this baby. This, this, like, this is a pretty weak Messiah. <laughs> Honestly, little baby can't do anything. Probably spit up on, on Simeon while he was doing all this. Uh, and yet, um, like Simeon accepts this child as the answer to God's promise. And, and here's what's really odd, I think, about this. Simeon doesn't know how this baby will bring about salvation for Israel and the, and the Gentiles. He doesn't understand how that's gonna happen he just trusts God that it will. And, and that's a big deal. I mean, we can learn something from Simeon here. He doesn't go, God, how are you gonna do this? Like, okay, here's this baby, but what are you gonna do with him? He just goes, this is it. This is God's salvation. I don't know how he's gonna do it, but he's gonna do it. One of the things that separates God's plan through Jesus and all other religions is how everything God does he does out in the open, he does in, in public. And, and Simeon talks, talks about that. Uh, you have prepared in the presence of all people. God does everything he does out in public. Jesus' birth uh, in, in public. Shepherds and other people is there for anybody to see. Jesus' whole life is lived out in front of people. His miracles are public. His teachings are for everyone. Uh, part of the reason so much of Jesus' life and so much of what we read in the Bible has been scrutinized and studied and argued is because there is more information about Jesus and about Jewish life in the Bible than any other religion, than any other person's like personal God experience out in the wilderness or the desert somewhere where they come back and they go, hey, God spoke to me and this is what he said. And you go, what proof do you have? God spoke to me and this is what he said. And I have no proof and I have nothing. That's not the way it was with Jesus. Everything God did, he did out in public where everybody could see it and they could talk about it and they could have discussions about it. Um, and it is really crazy. And part of the reasons Jesus' birth and his life were public is because Jesus is for everybody. The baby who would bring God's salvation would be a light, Simeon says, of revelation 
to the Gentiles. And, and just in case you wondered, you and I are, are Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, and, and maybe no Jews here today, so we're all probably Gentiles. And the Jews believed they were God's only children, the chosen ones. But the prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament always included people from all over the world and not just the Jews. And this was good news and is part of what Simeon is talking about um, when he meets Jesus. Um, uh, because this salvation from God, it came from the Jews, but it's for all people. He says it's a revelation to the Gentiles that we can be included in the family of, of Abraham, not by blood, but by belief or faith. And while the Jewish people struggled with this um, reality, Simeon says that God's salvation through Jesus is actually glory for Israel. Okay, Israel, Jesus came from you. You should be first in, in line. And when more people come to faith, you should be excited. And then, so the savior of the world was a baby born of Jewish parents in the line of King David with dark skinned and an Eastern theology. And so here's what happens after um, Simeon gets done talking. Mary and Joseph marveled at what was said about their little baby, Jesus. Let me share with you some ways that I think we can be in awe of God this Christmas and that will help us remember the miracle of Christmas and not just get caught up in, in the magic. Um, first of all, like Simeon, we have to allow ourselves to be moved by God's promptings through the Spirit so that we can be an encouragement to others and we can, like Simeon, play a part in God's story. Like Simeon's, our lives need to find meaning and be rooted in the promise of the Savior. We live as people of faith. We live by that promise, but we can also die in peace because of that promise. We don't just faith life um, because of the promise of Jesus and his return. We face death with that same promise that even if I die physically, I'm not dead, that I'm going to live forever with um, King Jesus. Like Simeon, we have seen God's salvation because we've seen Jesus in others and we've seen him work in our own lives. We've heard of him in the songs that we sing. We've seen him in the kindness of others. We've heard him in the encouraging words of scriptures. We share that with others. We've, we're comforted because we know what Jesus said, that blessed are those who have believed even though they haven't seen. Jesus said that in John 20, 29. When we strive to look more like Jesus every day, we become just what Simeon said, a light to those who don't yet believe and glory to other believers in the kingdom of God. Joseph and, and Mary really were alone in their story. Jesus' birth is, is one of those moments like when everybody comes to town for the funeral and then there's this whirlwind of activity and distraction and then everybody leaves and you feel alone. But throughout the story of Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, God gives them these moments where they feel not so alone. 
where when the shepherds show up uh, out of the blue on the night Jesus is born. And then when they go into the, the temple and they meet this unexpected stranger who confirms God's promise and recognizes Jesus, not just as their child, but for who he is, the savior of the world. And because of those moments, Joseph and Mary are encouraged and strengthened in their faith. And, and I hope that happens for all of us. That we find opportunities to be like Simeon this week. And so let me um, share with you a, a few of those. Um, we can be like Simeon if we're open to God's spirit or prompt, <laughs> promptings. Promptings, it's a word, look it up. Uh, or, uh, open to God's spirit and promptings and, and we obey those. Um, so this week, if you feel that, like get, give this, say this, do this, um, be a little more open to step into that because you could be like Simeon and you could be a part of a story that lasts a really long time. The, the second thing is to um, speak up and speak into the lives of others. Like there is a lot of magic in Christmas, but there's also a lot of meanness. Have you experienced that? People wanting to get in and out of stores and get the best parking spots and, and get in line. And so sometimes in the midst of all of this Christmas stuff, um, we can be a little more mean than we maybe would be because there's all this stuff to do. And so maybe there's gonna be an opportunity this week for you to speak up and speak into the life of somebody else and offer encouragement. Um, third, you can be a light, uh, maybe, a light for Jesus in, in this dark world. How do we do that? Well, just like Simeon, Simeon, we listen to the promptings of God and then we respond to those things. And then finally, we have opportunity to be like Simeon, Simeon to bring glory to God when we surrender uh, to Jesus, our King. So this week, look for those opportunities. Be aware for how God might be moving. And if you feel that little prompting, the Bible calls it the still small voice of God, encouraging you to do something. And, and let me say it, one way to determine if this is God or the Holy Spirit kind of prompting you is if your initial feeling is, I don't wanna do that. <laughs> if that's what you think first, there's a good chance God might be involved there somewhere. So um, looking for opportunities to be like Simeon will help you connect to the meaning of Christmas and not just get caught up in the magic of Christmas, All right? Let's pray. God, thank you for your son, Jesus, and for this story. Thank you for Simeon's faithfulness to listen to the prompting of your spirit and to respond to that. And then all these years later, we're talking about not just your faithfulness, but his faithfulness as well. And what an encouragement that was to Mary and Joseph in the struggle of, of, of going along and kind of feeling like maybe they'd been forgotten and that nobody cared. And here Simeon shows up and he speaks words from your heart right to theirs. And they're in awe of the moment because they didn't expect it. And you showed up. God, would we be like Simeon? Would we show up as you prompt us and um, would, would, would other people be able to experience you because we're surrendered to you, to we, because we listened and then we acted. God, thanks um, just for loving us and for this baby born king. It was strange and, and was odd 
And yet um, you use the strange things, the odd things, the little things of this world to do incredible things. And so we just thank you for that, God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for this season in your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey.